Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s inspired style and cutting edge performance technology with its sleek mid cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. everyone, welcome to Tennis.com Podcast. I'm your host, Nina Pantic. I'll be joined in this episode by my co-host, Irina Falcone, and our special guest is Sam Query. Sam is a 32-year-old ranked number 45 in the world who just welcomed his first child, a baby boy, in February with his wife, Abby Dixon. He tells us what it's like to jump from full-time tennis pro to full-time dad. As a member of the ATP Council, he has a lot of insight into all the decision-making that's been happening regarding the schedules in 2020. And he also laments the loss of Wimbledon as someone that has reached the semifinals there in 2017 and the quarterfinals twice. He's going to miss the All England Club a lot this year, but he still has world team tennis to look forward to. It's something that he prioritizes each year and he tells us why. So here's our episode with Sam Query. All right, Sam, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for joining us today. Thanks for having me. Let's kick off with our number one question these days. How is this quarantine treating you, and what is life like in the Quarry household? Uh, You know, it's the quarantine's brutal, like everyone else. I mean, I know people have bigger problems than what I've got here at home, but um, it's tough not playing tennis, not going outside. I feel bad for the rest of the U.S. and the rest of the world, so hopefully this can all end in a a few months, and we can um, kind of flatten the curve, as they say, and as far as it goes for me, my wife and I have a five-week-old son at home, so we're keeping busy. We're, um, you know, up during the night, or you know, mostly her feeding him and um, you know, swaddling him, going on some neighborhood walks. So he's keeping us busy. So that's the, um, you know, the one good part for this for me is that I get to be home with my little newborn son. Where normally during a normal tennis schedule, I probably would have missed a handful of these first few months. Yeah, your son was born, from what I can tell, February 19th. That is a very, very newborn baby. You were not expecting to become a full-time father so quickly, were you? No, we were actually, you know, we we were down in Indian Wells for the tournament. We drove down. My wife, my mother-in-law, father-in-law, my parents were down there. The tournament got canceled, and, and uh, you know, we, we drove back home. And then, you know, we've been at home ever since. I was planning on, go to Miami, on going to Miami and Houston and kind of, getting a little break, I guess you would call it, away from waking up early and, and waking up during the evenings to help out. But, um, you know, now I'm just at home doing the full-time full time dad thing, or as much as I can do. That You know, the, the man doesn't – I don't offer that much to the child at this point in his life. So are you enjoying the whole dad thing? I mean, this is your first child. It's it's very exciting. I mean, tell us more about Ford and where where'd you get that name from, actually? It's a very unique name. Yeah, it's a – family name from my wife's side um it's her grandmother's maiden name and so it kind of popped up popped up in our heads a, a few months before we was born and we, we both really liked it and so we uh we stuck with it and so far being a dad is great i was really looking forward to having kids for a while and so was my wife and so you know this process it's definitely challenging like anyone would say with um you know trying to keep them happy and basically you know he needs your undivided attention between one of us 24 7 but it's really fulfilling and really fun and he's 
he's slowly getting to the points where he's kind of having some little expressions on his face and some smiles every now and then. You can tell he's starting to look at you a little more. Um, we also have a, a one-year-old chocolate lab, so we're trying to get the two of them to get along, which is a little tricky right now, but uh, hopefully they'll become friends in a couple of years. That's awesome. So technically, I mean, you have two babies at home pretty much. Uh, yes, exactly. <laughs> you know, the dog obviously has more energy than any animal I've ever seen in my life, and the baby kind of sleeps all day. So they're they're kind of on opposite schedules, which is funny, but... Um, you know, it definitely adds a little twist to things when you've got the one-year-old puppy to deal with as well. Well, one of the positives that I'm sure that you can see is that by having a puppy that is a chocolate lab and super energetic, you probably have a lot of time to go and exercise with him. Exactly. We're going, uh, you know, like a lot of the neighborhood where we live. I mean, when we, we've been going on two, three, four walks a day and you see a ton, bunch of kids riding their bikes and out on skateboards and everyone kind of is leaving the house at some point or other during the day trying to get some exercise and of course keeping away from each other but it's a very active neighborhood right now we've seen a lot of players finding creative ways to stay fit and even trying to maybe have a racket in their hands and even hitting on little home tennis courts uh do you have a court you can hit on nearby that's safe so to speak or how are you kind of keeping the tennis spirit alive yes and no i mean uh, in los angeles where we're at right now there's a handful of people that have private tennis courts around. Um, I didn't hit this last week. I'm not hitting this week. But depending upon how long this kind of quarantine lasts, I'm going to have to find a court at some point and get some reps in. So um, there's a couple people I know that have a court at their house. I can go over there with a coach, keep it to two or three people, and and probably kind of get some reps in and keep some timing, keep some calluses on my hand, things like that. And then hopefully when things are are lifted and we have a little more freedom to walk around, um, you know, I can get back into some, into more of a uh, kind of regimented practice with some of the other pros. Such a weird time because you want to get back and start playing again, but you don't really have a reason to just yet. So speaking of, we're recording this a little bit ahead of the official news, but it looks like Wimbledon is going to be canceled and you are someone that has absolutely thrived at the All England Club. Uh, You've made the semifinals there, quarterfinals twice you know, what is a move like that? Are you shocked by having the grass season now go? Yeah, I'm I'm really bummed. You know, I, I saw it coming. I think everyone saw it coming. Uh, you know, we've got to get this virus under control. But not only just because it's Wimbledon, but every tournament that gets canceled, it's, it's such a huge bummer. And, um, you know, like you said, it's hard to start practicing because we don't know the start date of when we're going to play. So it's not only me, I'm sure a lot of players right now, you're not overly motivated to get in the gym and get on the court because, hey, is this, are we going to play again in three months, in six months, in 12 months? So it's tough to time it. So you just got to kind of do your best to stay active and, and hit when you can. And, and then once the, um, you know, once we know what's going on and we know, hey, we're going to start playing tennis October 1st, really for a player like me and I think most players, if you have four to six weeks to prepare and practice and get in the gym, you can be back to your, your high-end playing level relatively soon. Exactly. I, I think that's that's a pretty good way to look at it. But again, I mean, I, I'm, I'm still pretty stuck on this Wimbledon thing. You made the quarterfinals there last year, and now you know that the rankings are, at this point, frozen. Is it a massive relief thinking that you don't have to defend that? No. I mean, I'd rather, look, I'd rather, I'd rather go play and lose first round and lose all the points and just be able to play Wimbledon. To, to miss it is, is worse than, than worrying about defending points. I mean, I know some people might be worried about that, but for me, 
I'm not worried about defending points. I'd rather go out and lose first round of the next 15 tournaments I play, but at least have the chance to play. So I guess we're not exactly sure in the tour what we're doing with the rankings yet. As of now, they're frozen. Once we get going again, we're going to determine how they're going to, you know, have points drop off, how they're going to, or how they're going to go about doing the ranking system. So like I said, I would, I'm not worried about the points coming off and I would rather just play. I'm sure in the council meetings, I mean, it's it's hard to have everybody's opinions and different people shouting out different things at different ways on how to keep the points, how to defend the points, how to restructure the ranking system pretty much by the time we come back. Were you on the end of wanting to keep the freeze or were you against the freeze or what were your thoughts on the whole process on figuring out the ranking system? Yeah, look, I'm for the freeze, and and I'm on the I'm on the player council, so I'm in all the the phone calls and things. And there's so many different options and scenarios, and we're trying to narrow it down to the best one. And the only thing that I can really say for sure is, whatever solution we come to, it's not going to work for everyone. There's going to be people that benefit from it, and people that don't benefit from it. So that's what makes this difficult as well. Is there's not going to be a perfect solution, and that that's not even with tennis. That's with all sports and all things alike. There's not going to be a perfect solution that fits everyone. So everyone has to be somewhat flexible with whatever the decision is that the council and the tour decides when it comes to the ranking. It's always fun um, to kind of ask, and I'm always curious to see what people think on this, but I like have a little wager on to see what date you think we'll be back. What do you think is going to be the predicted date, like the official one? I think the official one will be um, September. September 1st. I'll be writing it down. It, I hope it's way sooner than that, though. I hope whatever the soonest we can play, I hope it's then. But I'm going <laughs> to, if I was betting, I'm going to go, or, or whatever the Monday is around September 1st. All right. Okay. Well, that means that Sounds then the good. U.S. We'll Open, the U.S. Open's also doomed. I think every slam is going to be so affected by this. Wimbledon especially because it's grass. You can't be like, hey, let's play it in September or October. I mean, that's not exactly. going to work. And even, even the French Open, you know, like, October, November, December, it gets pretty cold in France then. I don't know how long you can play outside then. It's, I mean, it's impossible. There's no way that's going to work. There's I think even no September chance. is pushing it. Yeah, totally. No chance, I mean, especially Open, because of the I mean, light, same too. Thing. You can maybe play U.S. Open into October, and they've got a roof on two courts, but that's not nearly enough to put together an entire, you know, men's draw, women's draw, doubles, and everything else that kind of goes with the tournament. We're going to launch right into the ATP finals, and that's going to be it for 2020. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> okay, on a more on a more positive that'd be awesome. note, yeah, I mean that would be on a more positive note. You actually managed to play one of the last live pro tennis events, the uh, World Team Tennis Celebrity All Star Match. It was in San Diego, I believe, on March first, kind of just before everything fell apart for tennis players. Um, what was that experience like? Being, I mean, it was a doubles matches and stuff. It was singles. Maria Sharapova was there. What was this World Team Tennis showcase like? It was a ton of fun. I've played world team tennis for, I mean, my entire professional career, like probably 12 or 13 years. It's a, a league that's, you know, two or three weeks during the summer. And so this is the first time they kind of had an all-star event to get everyone excited about the actual world team tennis season that's going to be in July. Hopefully we have it. And so um, to have all the, all the players, you know, James Blake, Marty Fish, Sharapova, the Bryan brothers, Madison Keys, Monica Puig, you had some great players playing, and they, um, we played out in La Costa Resort near San Diego, and it was packed with people. And so it's a different environment than normal tennis tournaments, but it's it's fun. You know, the rules are different. There's music uh, in between every point. 
And it's kind of, um, you know, it's one of those events where you can, you can not even like tennis. You don't have to be a tennis fan, but you can go to a world team tennis event. And I think you're going to have a pretty good time and you're going to enjoy yourself. So this was a, a fun event to be a part of. And hopefully everyone that sees it, whether that was there, they were there live or they see it on CBS, they're going to, you know, something might click in their brain and say, hey, you know what? I need to go watch one of these events because they're pretty fun. They are a lot of fun. We are probably, I think the the realistic thing here is that it also gets canceled. But as of right now, World Team Tennis is still a go starting in mid-July, which is really on the cusp here especially right. if you're right about September 1st. But I could see them kind of making a makeshift tour, at least maybe some more exhibition matches like the one that you played in, possibly trying to put together something to keep uh, the momentum going because this, this is a really historic league. Totally. And, and like you said, if even if we can't play it in July, but it seems like in July or August, things seem to be settling down. We've got more of a handle on the virus. You can get a small group together and, and play a World Team Tennis match maybe in front of a limited number of fans and, and aired on tv just to give people some content and something to watch and something to do so um you know i hope the league can get going in mid-july but if not there's some ways that we can still kind of play and hopefully get people excited introducing coco golf's signature shoe more than just a tennis shoe it's a fusion of 90s inspired style and cutting edge performance technology with its sleek mid-cut silhouette it's designed to enhance speed and power on the court the multi-piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out the coco cg1 empowers you to dominate the game learn more and purchase the coco cg1 at newbalance.com um, I actually, I want to go back to this whole quarantine thing. Um, obviously, I understand that you have a newborn and that takes up a lot of time. Um, but I'm just curious. I mean, a lot of tennis players are showing us new ways on how they train and new ways on what they're doing, picking up hobbies, l- learning new skills. Just want to know if there's anything that you've kind of set your mind to, whether it's a new skill or are there any new hobbies that you now do that maybe you wouldn't have done had it not been for this quarantine? Um, you know, not yet. I, you know, I'm someone, I like to keep the house like perfectly clean. So I spend like hours a day, like tidying and organizing things in the house. Um, as far as working out, I just ordered this fitness machine called the mirror and it should be at the house in the next few days. And it's kind of looks like something fun where it's, you know, you put this mirror up on the, on your wall and there's like an instructor in it and you can choose from an array of different classes. And I've got a Peloton in the garage. So I've been doing little things here and there, but, you know, honestly, just hanging out with the baby and going on four walks a day is pretty much what I've done the last two weeks. But if this continues on for another few months, I am going to have to find a hobby or something to do to kind of occupy my brain going forward. I've seen the mirror advertisements all over Instagram and online. The mirror and Peloton are probably thriving right now. Exactly. They look and awesome. also, I mean, I, my wife uses them as well. So any type of you know, workout equipment you can do at home. I, I think those people are, they can't make those machines fast enough right now. That is some of the bright news here. So I also want to talk a little bit about some of your maybe lighter tennis career moments. We've talked about Wimbledon, but specifically, you know, for some reason you managed to beat world number ones at Wimbledon every time. Is there a certain memory in your past, maybe a couple of years that is a highlight for you that you're like really, I guess, proud of? There's not one that stands out. There's a handful, like you said, both Beating Novak at Wimbledon and Murray at Wimbledon are definitely, you know, probably both in the top three. And then the other one would be uh, winning the Acapulco title in 2017. 
and beating Nadal in the final. Um, you know, one, because it was Nadal, and two, because it was in Mexico. So 99.9% .9 of the people there were cheering for Nadal. And sometimes it's fun to win, win in places where the entire crowd is against you. That's, that could be almost more enjoyable than winning titles um, in the U.S. where you've got most of the crowd on your side. Go USA. That's awesome. All right, so uh, you're based in California, I think Thousand Oaks specifically, so kind of the L.A. area. You grew up playing California. You won the L.A. Open. I remember that vividly because I was in school at the time. Did you ever consider going to a California college? I feel like USC maybe was tossed around at some point. What was that period of your life like when you were making the decision to turn pro? Yeah, I mean, it was more than tossed around. I, I committed to USC. I was all ready to go to USC. Um, this would have been the fall of 2006. and then. Kind of that summer and a part of the fall, I had a lot of success. I won three challengers and won some my first rounds in a couple tour events, including the Los Angeles tournament and then my first round at the U.S. Open. And so, you know, at that point, I was maybe ranked like 120, 130 in the world. So it wasn't actually a tough decision then to skip college and turn pro. But definitely the, uh, you know, 12 months before that, I went back and forth a lot. I I went to kind of a normal high school. I liked the social aspect of it. I had a lot of friends. I mean, all my friends were going to college. So part of me wanted to go to college and, and experience that and play on a, on a team and, um, you know, just kind of go that route. But then, you know, I just, like I said, I, I did have, I had a lot of success in that 12 month period at 18 before college started. And, um, you know, I'm at, looking back now, I'm glad I didn't go. I feel like I made the right decision and I'm really happy with kind of how things turned out. I remember vividly there being, during the time, uh, early parts of your career when you were winning your first couple of titles, there was a group of your friends dressed up as the Samurai Club. And I'm yep. so happy that on Wikipedia, there's like one line still mentioning them, like a tribute to your high school friends. Whatever happened, man, they were like, they would, they would be shirtless, lined up with like your name spelled out in their chest. Like what happened? That's, they grew up. One's, they grew up one's, an, one's an attorney. One does medical sales. One's a singer. I mean, they've all, they've got normal jobs now, so they can't travel around and and take their shirts off anymore and cheer. But like, that was so much fun. I mean, to have, you know, they would come to the LA tournament, they would come to Indian Wells and maybe a couple others if it was, if they could swing it. But, you know, that was a time where they were either a senior in high school or in college. So you can act like an idiot, you know, until you're about 22 and then, and then life kind of changes. And, um, you know, those are still, you know, if you ask me who my, who my 10 best friends are, Eight of them are those guys in those pictures from back of the day. So we're all still really close and they're an incredible group of guys. And they've kind of been my friends since I was, I mean, some of them 10 years old. And so it's pretty, pretty cool to have a, a fun group cheering for you kind of your entire career. It was a very wild time. Oh yeah. It was awesome. <laughs> Is there a tournament that you're really looking forward to when you do come back? I mean, I am still, Hopefully there is still a tour, but I am still on tour, relatively speaking. And um, I was super disappointed knowing that Wimbledon's probably not going to happen. I mean, it really bummed me out because I think that's uh, that's probably my favorite tournament, favorite slam. Is there one tournament that kind of sticks out that you're like always just super excited to play? I mean, there's a couple. Wimbledon is one of them. And then Indian Wells is definitely the other one. And that was the really the first major sporting event in the U.S. to say, hey, we're we're not we're not happening and so those two I will miss, but you know, if, if things do um, kind of turn around this year and we, or we start to play tennis again, I am looking forward to, you know, if, if the schedule's different, if we play in November and December, 
I, it would kind of be fun to see what that would be like, where these other tournaments might switch their dates and, hey, you know, see who's willing to move move to where. And I think all the guys, you know, would be excited to play any tournament at this point, um, at any point during this year. It makes sense. It makes sense, especially now you've been on tour for over, I mean, it's been over a decade. So maybe yeah. having a little bit of change is almost being embraced at this point. I mean, yeah, maybe not to this extent, you know, but, you know. For me, too, like, like you said, I've, this is like my 14th year on tour. You know, I am bummed because I don't know how many more Wimbledons I have left. So, you know, to if let's say I was going to play three more years to lose 33% of the Wimbledons I have left is a huge bummer. But, um, you know, I, I like playing tennis. But now that I've got the, the new son, maybe maybe this will allow me to play another year kind of on the back end of my career and, and you know, enjoy myself and the travel with my wife and son for, um, you know, another year on the road. I'm surely you have a few more good years left in you. I mean, I, I Rogers 38. What are you What are you talking about? No, no, exactly. I mean, when I first joined the tour, it seemed like you could play till 30. If you played till 30, like that was great. And uh, you know, then the number went to 35. And now, like you said, there's a lot of guys that are 36, 37, 38 that are still in the top hundred that are still playing at a really high level that are still fit and and out there ready to go week in and week out. We've talked about a few big events that have been affected. We talked about World Team Tennis, uh, Wimbledon, U.S. Open, possibly French Open. But what about the Olympics? I know that's something that maybe you didn't have on your schedule. Because Is it because you were going to play World Team Tennis? What was that Tokyo change? How did it affect you at all, if, if at all? Uh, it didn't affect me. You know, I played, I, played the, I played tennis in the Beijing Olympics in 2008, and then I haven't played the Olympics since. I personally don't think tennis should be in the Olympics along with some other sports. You know, I don't think golf should be in there and a, and a handful of others. So the Olympics really has never been on my radar the last, you know, the last three Olympics. So um, I was excited to play world team tennis. And, you know, I know the Olympics have been moved till next summer and whatever, if it, if the, if it's world team tennis next summer against the Olympics or some tournaments in the U S uh, in the U.S. states, you know, I'm going to play those tournaments over the Olympics because the Olympics just hasn't been a priority for me, you know, like I said, the last three. It's an interesting take, but Davis Cup is still a priority. Is that something that you still want to be maybe in November? Hopefully that still happens. Yeah, exactly. I hope that still happens. And yeah, I'm, I love playing Davis Cup. It's so fun to be on a team. And so I, I hope that happens. I hope I'm on the team and I'll be ready to go for that. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Hey everyone, you're listening to the Tennis.com podcast with Sam Query. He's giving us his inside take on when he thinks the tours will be back in action in 2020. Keep listening. So this is just like for our listeners because um, obviously, I mean, you see memes, you see some crazy stories that you hear about and you see on TV about the whole coronavirus thing. So I just want to hear what's the craziest thing you've witnessed or you've seen on the internet that just like shocks you to the core during this whole quarantine time. You know, I've gone to the grocery store a couple times and I feel like some people, yes, you want to be cautious. Some people are taking it to another level. I feel like with masks and gloves and wiping everything down every two seconds when they touch it. So it's not like it's that out of the ordinary, but 
you know, some people are walking around like, you know, if you breathe in any air, you're just going to get infected and something crazy could happen. But, you know, I, I do understand that people are, you'd rather be safer than sorry. But, you know, I haven't really seen anything that wild. We've been trying to buy Lysol the last week. Couldn't find any, couldn't find any. And we found a new can of Lysol like under the sink on the way back yesterday. And it was like we just found a gold brick. I've never seen two people more excited than my wife and I. So relatable. I know that initially you were planning on being a new dad on tour. So I imagine you had a lot of friends you could talk to about uh, being a parent. I mean, I think of John Isner, Taylor Fritz is a dad. I'm not sure. There's a whole bunch of Americans that are just popping out kids right now. Have you, have you asked for any advice from anyone? Have you, has anyone maybe thrown something at you? Uh, no, not, not really. I mean, John is there and Steve Johnson, especially are two of my closest friends. And then, um, Mike Bryan's wife, Nadia is expecting, I think any week now. And, and my wife and all those guys' wives are, are really close. So, um, you know, we don't necessarily get advice or things, but we, we Skype with each other or we FaceTime every week. And we have a handful of other close friends that have newborns that are, that were, you know, have been born in the last month. So, it's a bummer you can't do like little baby mom and dad and baby hangouts, but we're just kind of doing FaceTime and things like that, which is the next best thing until this all blows over. It is. So Ford is about a month old. Have you considered thinking about like wanting to keep, I've heard a lot. Okay. So I've heard a lot of parents or young parents say this, that wanting to keep playing tennis until your kid's old enough to realize like what you do and how great you are and able to watch you. Have you thought about that? Or have you thought about your kid playing tennis or any kind of, I guess, connection to the sport with him yet? Yeah, you know, I, I definitely hope I can play, um, you know, keep playing at a high level until he can realize what's going on. I don't know if that's if that's three years old, four years old, whatever it is, but I would love him to be able to watch me play a relevant tennis match, um, you know, at, you know, where he can kind of understand what's going on. And then, you know, kind of on the flip side, I hope he doesn't play tennis. I selfishly, I selfishly want to watch and follow a new sport when I'm done, you know? So I would, I wanted to play baseball or basketball or soccer or whatever, or, or join a band or do something else because, uh, you know, selfishly, I, I would love to go cheer my son on doing something else, but if he wants to play tennis, I'll totally support him and and be his biggest fan and help him out along the way. That's so awesome and refreshing to hear. Well, we hope to see, Ford Austin in a band playing baseball in the future. And um, we just wanted to thank you so much for taking the time to speak with us during, during this quarantine time and uh, congratulations on your newborn. Say hi to the mom and uh, thanks again for uh, talking with us. It's been awesome. Yep. No problem. Thank you guys. Thanks Sam. Have a good one. From the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, this has been the Tennis.com Podcast. Be sure to subscribe to stay caught up. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and every major listening app, as well as Tennis.com slash podcasts. You can also see the videos of our episodes on Tennis Channel's YouTube page and Tennis.com's Facebook page. We're your hosts, Nina Pantic and Irina Falcone. We'd like to thank our team editor and audio designer and video editor Christina Koseva, producers Alexa March and Sean O'Malley, and executive producers Shelby Coleman, Kyle Einhorn, and Andy Chu.